Sekhtim, chapter 15 through 21 today. The idea, very simply, is to be approved unto God, to be approved by the Lord. It's a very simple idea. I hope that you'll let the Lord speak again. Let me step aside. You hear what the Lord has to say. But just a reminder again from our Sunday school time this morning, as free will Baptists, as Baptists, as Christians, the Bible is foundational to our faith and to our practice. And so it is such an important thing about how we live and the decisions we make. And so you let the Lord speak to you, even make our way through the book of 2 Timothy. So let's look at verses 15 through 21 here. First in King James, just to get started. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Don't you want to be used by the Lord? <laughs> That's the message today. You can go to sleep now. <laughs> you want to be used by the Lord. Paul is telling his young man, Timothy, you're going to go out into these places, and I want you to be useful to God, to be approved unto God. So we're going to work our way through this passage again. Let the Lord speak to you as we make our way through. Quick review, two weeks ago, we had four characters. I'm not going to show you their pictures today, but we did last Sunday. Do you remember who our four examples were at the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 2? Teacher, soldier, athlete, farmer. Good job, all right? Great. So if you look at those characteristics again, those are good things to hold on to as a Christian. Again, we wouldn't be tied to this world. We would be hardworking like the farmer. We'd be passing the faith along, and we would discipline ourselves like the athlete. All those things are great uh, behaviors for us to mimic as we think about living a life that is pleasing to God and especially as we think about giving it to the next generation. Right? It's important. We want to pass it down. I hope that 100 years from now that the church in Indianapolis is thriving. But the only way that's going to happen is if we pass the faith along. Okay? All right. Last week we had just a couple simple ideas and that was we would endure was the main idea. We would endure everything, Paul says, for the sake of the elect. And if we would endure, he said, we would also, trick question. If we endure, we also reign. Thank you. So if we endure, we will reign. There is hope and promise and a future for people who will walk in faith and not quit. You ever feel like quitting? Come on now. Yesterday, I was with another crazy person, and we were over in Westwood near Newcastle on about uh, eight inches of ice. 
And I got this uh, tent for Christmas that you can fish inside this tent. Oh, boy, we got in there, and there was no wind. And you could open the windows up, and the sunlight was beaming through. And we got all nice and cozy, and the fish stopped biting. Man, could you believe that? It's like, we're going to have to go back out and see if we can find the fish. And after we'd been in that nice, cozy, warm tent, and we went out and tried to find some other fish, we were ready to quit. <laughs> right? You get settled, you get comfortable, and then you don't want to change, right? Spiritually, it's the same thing, isn't it? Sometimes we get settled, we get comfortable, and then if we get in confrontation with change, we're like, I don't want this. I want to give up. Again, the, the command last week was to endure. If we endure, we will also reign. Again, that's not on your own ability and your own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can endure and then we can reign. So good truth again from last week. So let's look this morning, again, starting in verse 15, and some of these things that we want to do to make sure that we are pleasing to God. I would say to you there this morning, there should be nothing higher in our heart than to have the approval of the Almighty, right? I mean, I want to make you guys happy. I want you guys to appreciate, like me, I want to please you, but that shouldn't be my overarching goal. Sometimes that can be dangerous, wanting to please everyone, right? But the Lord himself... I want to make sure that I have his approval. And so today we're going to look at Paul. He shares with Timothy, as you seek the Lord's approval, these are the kind of things that you should be doing. The first thing this morning is to study. David and Jacob, you guys like studying? (laughs) Casey, you've been doing a lot of studying lately, right? This last year, yeah, I bet. Isaiah finally finished. I think he's done studying. I don't know. (laughs) He had to study a lot. Oh, boy. King James word here, but that, the idea holds true. Study to show yourself approved. Uh, NIV, it says, verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and co- correctly handles the word of truth. As you think about the armor of God, right, what are some of the pieces? Anybody remember? You got that breastplate of righteousness, right? Not my righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ that protects me. Okay, good. What, what's another piece? The, the shield of faith, sorry. Belt of truth, sorry. Belt of truth, yep. I always think of that as like, uh, we watch those crazy Star Wars shows and they have those long flowing robes and they have their lightsabers, right? Well, if they didn't have a belt, how could you fight in a robe, right? <laughs> You've got to have the belt that keeps everything together. And really, truth is what keeps everything together, right? What else, Jacob? The helmet of salvation, again, that knowledge that I am the Lord's, I belong to his, and it's going to protect me in a very uh, sensitive area. What else? Oh, those feet uh, that carry the gospel of peace, that should be sharing the gospel. Good stuff. What is the one thing that is more offensive? The sword. Now, some people make an argument that all of them could be offensive if we're on the advance, which is a good point, right? But here's the thing. How many of you are good at fencing? And I don't mean building fences. I'm talking Zorro fencing. When I was a kid, I just, oh, man, that was my favorite. I wanted to be a sword fighter like Zorro, right? Now, if I were to go fight Zorro or any Olympic fencer or even a person just fencing down the street that's being trained, I would be dead immediately. (laughs) Because I have no skill with that sword. I haven't studied it. I haven't learned that skill. I haven't learned how you're supposed to stand. I don't know the rules. I don't know anything about it. Some Christians 
stepping into a battle with the devil, trying to use a sword that they have never studied or never tried to live. How are they going to handle themselves when they face someone who is skilled with this word? It's not going to go well, is it, right? Study to show yourself approved. You've got to do a little work. Right? Now, I'm not saying you've got to go to college or seminary, things like that, but you need to be diligent. You need to do your best, the NIV here says, very diligent to know the truth of the Scripture and to apply it. Now, we were talking this morning about how we have to try out at the church kind of thing. And we had some discussions about the Scriptures when uh, Isaiah and I, I think were here on a Wednesday night. We were getting uh, examined by some of you. And I remember making a really strong point when John Sinkhorn was here that, well, it doesn't necessarily really matter very much what you believe about the Word of God if you won't live it. What? Because, you know, again, our Baptist circles, what you believe is really important, right? <laughs> we talked about that this morning. But if you're going to say you believe something, but you don't live it, what's the point, right? Part of this idea of studying here is applying what you are learning from the word of the Lord. I would challenge you today, are you doing that? Last time you in this on your outside of our meeting times. Hopefully, it's a daily thing for you. Study, be diligent, present yourself to God. And again, a reminder here, present yourself to God. Don't study to impress men. Have you ever been around people like that? Let me tell you what I know. Here's my website, and here's my book, and you can even have my keychain here with my name on it if you want. <laughs> right? Self-promotion and all that kind of thing. Some people really, it's important to them that, that you know that they know things. This is study to show yourself approved unto the Lord. Someone who is not ashamed. The challenge I have here this morning is, are you offering God your best or your leftovers? That kind of hits me a little bit. And your best isn't that necessarily, you have all these hours in the week, but you can honor God at your workplace, right? You can honor God by getting a good night's sleep. You can honor God by eating well. You can honor God by exercising you can honor God by going helping the homeless, but you can also honor God by getting uh, rest when you need it for your own strength. But we got to put all that together, don't we? That's the challenge today, okay? Again, do your best to be approved unto the Lord. And now here's the thing I wanted to kind of share this morning, and this is something that's very prevalent in our culture, and we heard it again even with some young people a few weeks ago. God never tells you, follow your heart. Does he? Who tells you follow your heart? Hallmark. I'm one of the biggest Hallmark fans there is. So I don't know. Some of you out there are pretty big, you know, Hallmark fans too, right? Oh, just follow your heart. You've been doing this dead end thing. Follow your heart. You've got the wrong guy. Follow. You got the wrong girl. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. What does the Lord say about your heart? It is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? He says, don't follow your heart. <laughs> follow the word. Study to show yourself approved. You need to know the word because your heart will lead you astray. Hear the word of the Lord today. That's why it's so important that we fill our heart with the truth of the Lord. And that's why it's so important that we see that this scripture is authoritative. It is infallible. It is our rule of faith and practice. That's why we need the word because our heart's wicked. That's why we have to study. Again, God tells you to study. 
to work at your relationship with him? How much time and effort are you investing in your work to be approved by the Lord? When I was in Bible college, I had a professor. His name was Dr. Woodard. If you knew Dr. Woodard, Dr. Woodard mowed his grass with a tie on the end. That's just who he was. And he would give tests. And I remember when I first took a few of his tests. And so just so you guys know, I'm one of those people that um, I'm kind of a procrastinator. And back in my day, not so much anymore, I used to be a really good guesser. Ask my wife. At the time, I was pretty good guessing, okay? So study the night before, stick it in there real fast in the brain, short-term memory, walk out into the next day, throw me a quiz. I'll do my best guess. Usually get 90% or better, you know? Not bad, right? Until I met Dr. Woodard. And he would give questions like this on the test. In paragraph uh, two of chapter seven on page 69, what was the third word? Not exactly that, but really close to that. And Wendy would testify, she had some of those classes. How does this help me as a college student to go forward, right? To know that I can memorize a certain phrase or a sentence on a page of a book. That was, well, what I did was I took that as a challenge. And what I learned in college, you young guys, close your ears right now. If you can learn the teacher, then you could figure out how to pass the class. Right? Those of you guys that have been there, you know that, right? And I figured out that Dr. Woodard, when he wanted a paper, you know what he wanted? He wanted lots of pages. He didn't care what they said. So I would fill it up, 99 or 100, right? And when I went to study for quizzes, it was stuff, everything I could stuff in there for that thing, just because all I knew it was going to do was regurgitate. And 99, and I got to where I figured out Dr. Woodard, and what I was doing, and I didn't really realize at the time, I was actually trying to please him. It made me feel good to beat the teacher, so to speak, right? But really, in order to do that, I was trying to please him, but I shouldn't have been pleasing Dr. Woodard. I should have been pleasing the Lord. Study to show yourself. Do your best to be approved unto God. If you're going to be a minister, not a preacher or pastor, but a minister of the gospel, which all of you should be, you need to work at it. There's your first point today. Now, Robert Schmigdahl says this. This is a great truth. We teach what we know. We reproduce what we are. Michael, I'm not sure about what you are, if that's what you're producing there. I don't know. When you think about discipling, right? I mean, this morning I could talk you through, and you guys know I'm a talker. We could talk through all these different theologies and compare those things. I can teach what I know. I studied that in college. I studied that in seminary. I know that. But what I'm probably going to reproduce is people like me. And if I'm lazy and I'm a procrastinator and I really don't care, or I am loose with the truth of the scriptures and take what I want and throw away to what I want, the people that I'm discipling are probably going to be a lot like me, right? Even though I may know all this stuff. That's the same for each of you today. You're going to reproduce who you are more than what you know. So I would challenge you today that you need to be living the gospel, not just talking. And that's the point here this morning. All right, second thing. Avoid, gosh, verse 14. 
Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value, and it only ruins those who listen. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Here's a little penology for you this morning, okay? Don't waste your time fighting over small semantic questions. 45,000 denominations? Right? That's ridiculous. But why is that? Because I want red and he wants green. And you look what happened here in the scriptures when they got to fighting over godless chatter. What happened? What ended up happening? Did you see that? With Hymenaeus and Philetus? They started teaching that the resurrection had already taken place. This morning I told you there were people that said the resurrection never even took place who were still trying to claim they were Christians. And here you have people saying, oh, no, it's already done. The Lord's already come back and gone. It's all over. We're just here. (laughs) Again, that came out of godless chatter of people bickering back and forth and just wanting to do more talking than living the truth, right? And so I challenge you this morning, be careful. And again, I would even say to be careful about all the debates about Calvinism and Arminianism and a lot of those things that when we can talk about all those things, but what really matters when it comes to living out the gospel? When it makes a difference there, then we can talk about it. But if it doesn't, then let's move on to the things that really matter, right? I'm going to be honest with you today. I love people that dress up and they look good. That's nice. But I'm not going to fight you over if you have a tie on or not when you come to worship. Because to me, that is, that is not the core. I hope you come to worship with a humble heart. I hope you come to worship ready to respect the Lord that you're singing and praising. But to me, the bottom line isn't really whether how well you're dressed or not dressed. So I'm not going to fight over that. Just like Paul is telling Timothy, don't fight over godless chatter. Get out of the way. Remove yourself from wherever it is. It will cause some, again here, to fall away. It has actually destroyed the faith of some people. So just a quick reminder here about the dangers of your tongue. This is from Jerry DeLuca. Police chiefs and school teachers and social workers are all reporting an alarming new trend in the United States. Girls are becoming more violent more often. Justice Department statistics show that violent acts by teenage boys outstrips acts by teenage girls four to one. However, a generation ago, it was 10 to one. Former Baltimore school police chief Jansen Robinson uh, commented that girls have gradually become as violent as boys. It's a nationwide phenomenon, and it's catching us all off guard. Lauren Abramson, the director of Community Conferencing Center, a Baltimore agency that resolves disputes through mediation, has observed that gossip is often the root of aggression between girls. Gossip as a source of violence is understudied and little understood, but time and again, when we bring the parties together and get them to talk and to dig into what started it all, it invariably comes back to something somebody heard, somebody else said. Is the tongue powerful? Wow, right? Sabella Arts, a researcher in bullying behavior and the author of Sex, Power, and the Violent Schoolgirl, has found that for guild and boys, their aggression is often displayed through malicious 
malicious gossip through threats and intimidation. They will create fat groups or small cliques, and they will begin to character assassinate being and census that a particular girl is in the wrong and deserves to be beaten or have retaliation. At the very least, this will show up as exclusion or shunning. A girl will come to school and suddenly find herself excluded from a group that she once found she belonged to, and she won't be told what it's all about. The power of the tongue. Guys, church place gossip, can't they, right? It can become places of factions and cliques, and it starts with the mouth spreading things that aren't true, and it starts with people who, instead of focused on being approved by the Lord, they would rather hover around godless chatter. The King James word was shun. Avoid godless chatter like the plague, like COVID. <laughs> Get away from godless chatter because its end is destruction. That's not penology, by the way. That's what the word of God says, all right? Okay, where we really want to get to is this. We want to turn and verse 19. Master, turn and cleanse. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Can we just say that so clear? How clear is that? Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. If you believe the Bible, like we were talking about in Sunday school this morning, if it is your rule of faith and practice, you don't get to say, I love Jesus, but I do what I want to. That's not the deal, is it, right? Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Verse 20, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, and some for noble purposes, some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. All right. The scripture says, God's solid foundation stands firm. Don't let your faith be shaken. If you will study that word, your faith will hold strong. And that's what I want to challenge you this morning. If you confess the Lord, what we've just said, you must depart from wickedness. Okay? Don't forget that. And then I like this word picture or this idea that uh, Paul gives Timothy here. There are a lot of things in the house uh, some are for noble purposes, some not so noble, right? And the penthouse, if you come, we probably I don't know that we've ever really used them. If you come, we probably still won't use them. <laughs> we have this really pretty cabinet, and inside this cabinet are these really beautiful plates. And they, they're in the like a special Thanksgiving or special celebration time, right? They are noble things, and they're used for noble purposes, right? Do you have noble things in your house? Things that are used for good purposes? Things that are treated carefully and well? In the penthouse, uh, it's actually out in the garage because nobody can stand for it to be in the house. We have a thing that you're probably familiar with that's called a toilet plunger. It can be very at the right time, but I wouldn't call it noble, would you? That's kind of ignoble, right? There are, God can use you regardless of whether you submit yourself to him or not. Are you hearing me today? He can take your sin, and because of his sovereignty, he can still use it for his glory. 
you don't have to say, I surrender for God to still use you one way or the other. But wouldn't you rather be someone who had surrendered to the Lord and be useful to the master? That's the point here. So if we're going to be what the Lord wants to be, very simply, he says, turn and cleanse. Depart from wickedness. Today, very simply, I would ask you to humble yourself before the Lord. And like we prayed so many times, Lord, know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Lord, humble me and then use me. I want to be used by you. And that's the cry here from Paul to Timothy. Again, if we'll live with a repentant heart, we can live with a clear conscience. Nobody's saying about perfection here. Anybody in here perfect? No. Uh, just to be downright honest, there's a lot of messed up. And, and we kind of laugh about it. Really, it's true, isn't it, right? There's a lot of broken people in here who have been hurt, and we have hurt others, like we've been going through our healing as a choice on Wednesday nights, right? Yes. But can God use us? And how much the more if we would live a lifestyle of repentance? If we would fall down, we would admit it and be transparent about it, not try to hide it, not try to pretend we're somebody else, but say, yeah, I really messed up here. Lord, forgive me and help me own my sin and help me truly repent of it. And then they help me help others along the way that they would, could avoid those pitfalls and learn from my example, right? We need to be those people. And Paul's telling Timothy, you live with a repentant heart. Uh, D.L. Moody, I love this quote. He says, I know perfectly well that wherever I go and preach, there are many better preachers known and heard than I am. All that I can say about it is that the Lord uses me. <laughs> if you guys know D.L. Moody, he was never ordained. He didn't go through the right channels. He didn't know all the right people. And he brought revival to Chicago that it had never seen because he was used of the Lord. Here's the question today. Is the Lord using you? How is God using you? Have you made yourself available. When is the last time you felt like the Lord used you? All right, last thing this morning, Rich Stearns. He's president of World Vision. He calls it the domino theory of spiritual impact. He says, imagine a long line of dominoes, and when one falls, it starts a chain reaction that can cause dozens or hundred more dominoes to fall. For instance, Jesus set up 12 dominoes, his 12 disciples, mentored them, empowered them with the Holy Spirit, and then sent them off to go and do likewise. Now there are over 2 billion followers of Christ in the world. That's a lot of dominoes. <laughs> Stearns provides the following story about the spiritual impact that one person, one person can have. In the 1880s, Robert Wilder, a missionary kid from India, was preparing to return to the mission field. During college, he even signed a pledge along with friends to become a missionary. But because he was so physically frail, he never fulfilled that pledge. Instead, he encouraged others to take up the task. One domino fell. During a preaching tour that took Robert through Chicago, he spoke to an audience that included Samuel Moffat. Samuel also signed Robert's pledge, and within two years, he landed in Korea. Another domino fell. A few years later, Samuel shared the gospel with a man who had become disillusioned with his Taoist practice. Kiel Sun Chu trusted Christ, and another domino fell. 
1907, Kiel was one of the leaders of the Pyongyang Revival. In January of that year, spontaneous prayer and confession broke out during regular church meetings. Thousands of dominoes fell. Those days of fervent prayer are now considered the birth of an independent, self-sustaining Korean church. When Kiel died in 1935, 5,000 people attended his funeral. The church in Korea now numbers about 15 million, and it sends more foreign missionaries than any other country outside the United States. Millions of dominoes continue to fall. Stearns concludes, as Christians, we're all dominoes in the chain reaction set off by Jesus 2,000 years ago. The amazing thing about dominoes falling is that the chain reaction always starts small, just one seemingly insignificant domino. Whether you are sponsoring children, filling backpacks for children in inner city schools, talking to your own children, or praying earnestly for people around the globe, you have no idea what or how big the impact will be as God multiplies your faithfulness. Michael sent a little girl over to South Korea, or South Africa. She may go to South Korea someday. <laughs> One domino, boom. What has Anna done with what the Lord has given her, right? Heidi and Sindhu. These guys are just, they have nothing. They had no money. They grew up so poor. Now Heidi has a school slash orphanage for 150 children. He has 300 house churches that he helps maintain and grow the health of in India. Sindhu has 80 house churches, and he's reaching almost 30 unreached people groups, 30 groups of people who have no exposure to the gospel. Because one domino said, yeah, I'll be obedient, right? You guys, again, we know that we're a small group of people, but maybe we're the one domino. So we need to study, we need to shun, and we need to ask the Lord to cleanse us that we could be useful to him. All right, let's stand this morning. I appreciate your patience so much today. Again, I want the Lord to speak to you from his word, not from my mouth. But today, I would ask you again, when's the last time you really felt like the Lord used you? And you may not always know it, but I think sometimes you, the Lord graces you with that. And so today, I would ask you as we pray and as we dismiss in prayer today, that your prayer would be, Lord, cleanse me, humble me, Help me study, help me shun, help me repent, help me obey that I can be approved by you and that I can be useful. Lord, make me a domino today that I can see some impact from my life before it's all said and done. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.